Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Galzo, Chronicles of the End Times. So glad to have you with me today as we look at chapter 8 of the book of Revelation. As we left off in chapter 7, we saw that the sixth seal had been released, had been taken off the scroll. And we know that the scroll now is the title deed to the earth, where God is going to redeem the earth, all creation. He's going to redeem it back to him, take off the curse, and he's going to give everyone who follows him glorified bodies, bodies that look just like his. When the apostles saw him come through into the upper room, they saw him eat, they saw him drink, and uh, then they saw him just vanish again. So this is an incredible uh, teaching that we're going to get into later on down the line in this study. But this is the excitement is building in heaven. And now in chapter 8, we see the seventh seal is being removed. And that enables us to open up the scroll and now take a look into the scroll. So let's read chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw seven angels who stood before the throne. And God gave them seven trumpets. Another angel had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints and on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and hurled it down on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. So here we are in this seventh seal. We see a half hour of silence in heaven. Now that's that's a long time. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where there's you know, been a moment of silence. You know, it, it's really very, very powerful. Silence can be just as powerful or way more powerful, I should say, than words. And so here, this seal is open and the whole scroll can now be seen. And so its contents are being read and being looked at. And the horror that is to come is so terrible that heaven falls silent. And the next thing we see is we see this angel coming forth with incense mixed with the prayers of the saints and the prayers of those under the altar, asking, How long, Lord, holy and true, will will we be before you avenge our blood on the earth? Many of us have prayed, you know, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, as it's also known. That one portion of that prayer where it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer that is now going to be answered because nowhere in time has God's will been done on earth as it is in heaven since the creation of the world. This is a serious moment when all these prayers, generations and generations of people who have prayed earnestly for God's will to be done on this earth, for him to come and rule and reign, to take away the disease and the death and the hate and the bigotry, to turn earth back to what it should have been in the Garden of Eden. And so now these prayers, this moment in time, these prayers are going to be answered. 
And the angel takes the censer and he fills it with the fire from the altar and throws it upon the earth. Wow, what a dramatic moment. There's voices, the thunder, lightning, and the earth quakes under the weight of it. And they're all indications that God's hand is about to move on behalf of his people and the kingdom of his son. And now we talk about the plagues as we begin these trumpet judgments. So let's take a look at the first one. And as we do, I think it's important for us to look at some of the laws of interpretation. You know, there's a lot of imagery in the book of Revelation. A lot of people have uh, taken it as an allegory and have come up with their own definitions of exactly what's taking place. And we don't know everything that's happening. Okay, so we always have to make room for the things we can't explain, you know, for the unknown, the things that God has kept to himself. You know, no one's going to be able to interpret the whole book of Revelation for you, uh, you know, in great detail and accuracy. We can only take the scriptures for what they say. And that brings us to uh, the law of plain sense. When plain sense of a scripture makes common sense, usually the law is seek no other sense. So in other words, you know, take every word at its primary and ordinary, usually literal meaning, unless the facts of the the content indicate, you know, otherwise. This approach, you know, paints the clearest picture and creates the fewest problems. You know, because let's face it, if you take one piece of scripture and you hand it out to 200 people, there's a good chance you're going to get close to 200 different explanations of what that means. So it's far better for us to take most of what we read literally, unless there's other scripture that will back up, you know, a different interpretation of that, you know. And many times there is multiple interpretations or meanings to that scripture. You know, this is how deep the Word of God is. You know, many times in prophecy, uh, in Old Testament prophecy, it was concerning Israel at that present time in in its setting that it was, you know, uh, that it came down in. But it also had meaning for the end times. So Scripture can have more than one meaning. We know that those of us who read the Bible faithfully, you read the New Testament, you know, and all of a sudden God just speaks to you out of the blue about something. Because the word is alive. It's not just dead text. It's not just history and somebody's ideas. It's alive and breathing. It's the word of God, which is another name for Jesus Christ. And we know that he is in the word. The Holy Spirit is in the word. And it breathes. And if you read it, God will speak to you. So that's why it's so important for all of us to read the word of God. So having said that, Let's continue to move on and read the scripture. In verse 7, we begin there. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail, fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And so now before the second trumpet sounds, we see this first trumpet is burning up a third of the earth. Now this parallels... Uh, Exodus chapter uh, chapter 9 verse 22 
uh, where Moses, you know, extends his staff out and God begins to rain down hail and fire on Egypt. Now, in Scripture, Egypt is a type representative of the world. You know, there's there's Christ's kingdom, and then there's the world in the world's uh, philosophy and the world's government and on and on. So Egypt represented that, you know, in Scripture. So we read in Exodus chapter 9 that he tells Moses to stretch forth your hand towards the sky so that hail will fall over Egypt on men and on animals and everything growing in the fields. So when Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent the thunder and the hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, and it destroyed the grass and the trees. He was in horrible, horrible plague. And here we also see in Revelation this is happening, but it's so widespread. Now it's one-third of the entire earth. Now you can't burn up one-third of the earth without people being killed. So you can really, common sense will tell you there's no way in the world that people just just stood there and there was no problem. They didn't have any problem as their homes burned down, cities burnt, huge forests on fire. Now, what does this also do? This also sends up tremendous amount of smoke and ash into the atmosphere. You're talking about one-third of the earth. We see some of these terrible fires in California and how, you know, what happens there and how the smoke just covers so many acres and so many miles. So here, you just multiply that out. It's staggering to think about. In Joel chapter 2, verse 30, he states, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. There's a lot of scriptures that we can point to that we don't have time for right now, but that are in the Old Testament that speak this same way. And so now we move on to the second angel who sounded his trumpet. And it says, it's something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So now we have a third of the earth being burned up, and now we have a third of the sea being turned to blood. And ships are destroyed, men are killed. The devastation is huge. Now, what is this? This could be a meteorite falling from the sky. We don't know exactly what it could be. Could it be just a supernatural event that God's caused to take place? I think we need to concentrate more on not so much what exactly it is that made this happen, but to look at the devastation that it causes. And the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of that star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that became bitter. Now this could be a lot of different things. Some believe this is a nuclear war, you know, because uh, the word Wormwood uh, for bitterness, uh, in fact, uh, in in Russian, uh, the word Chernobyl means bitter, means wormwood. So they draw a lot of parallels, saying, okay, this could be, you know, tremendous devastation and radiation, 
which could turn the waters, uh, you know, undrinkable. Let's face it, it could also be a comet. It could be, you know, another meteorite. It's so many things uh, past the Earth's path, you know, that we have been spared from over the years. I mean, many times scientists are, are always tracking meteorites, you know, as in these meteorite showers that we look up into the sky and we say, isn't that cool, you know, shooting stars, and it's a great display, and it's pretty awesome. I love to watch it myself. But it just, you know, gives us an example that in the Earth's past, path as it circles the Earth, you know, we go through these meteorite showers, and, you know, who knows if in God's timing this is one of the things that happens. Maybe that's being described here. We don't know for sure, but we know that God is bringing judgment upon the earth. The devastation is dramatic and horrible. The fourth angel now sounds his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Now, this could really just be from all this that's going on in the earth. I mean, my God, at this point in time, the atmosphere has got to be filled, filled with all kinds of debris and smoke and pollution. Could be volcanoes erupting, who knows, you know, things falling from the sky, these tremendous fires that have consumed the earth. It blocks out the light from the sun for a third of the day and even a third of the night. And then as this angel watches in verse 13, he says, he's flying in the middle of the air, and he's calling out in a loud voice, and he's going, whoa, whoa, to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. I mean, how awful is this? You had already this devastation, and now this angel is saying, hey, you know, that was really awful, but this, what's coming, is going to be just incredibly devastating. So what can we take from this in chapter 8? Many times we're, you know, told that, you know, those of us who believe in a rapture, we're just, you know, escapists. You know, we don't want to have anything happen to us. We don't want to be around for the wrath of God, you know. So I really don't understand what the problem is for that. Yes, I don't want to be around for the wrath of God. And the scripture tells me that the wrath of God's not going to fall on me because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. I've come to him and I'm in, you know, in a state of sonship, you know. So I am a son of the Most High by being adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. But I think many times we get confused and these writers get confused and it's, it seems simple enough for those who are so brilliant and really very smart. Uh, men that are way more uh, brilliant and smarter than I am, for sure, that they could overlook, you know, certain things. But this happens when we want to prove our point. And I think all of you who are listening today know that we're not trying to prove a point. We're just trying to read through the scriptures and let the Bible speak unhindered. Don't have any preconceived thoughts in your mind. Well, I believe this. So this is what it's going to be like. You know, and that's where you run into trouble. Then we start taking verses of the Bible out and try to squeeze them into our pattern to prove, you know, our argument. Let's just look at the word as it is. 
The Bible tells us there's going to be tremendous persecution. It's happening all over the world. We see it every day on the news. And it's coming to America. You know, many, many things are happening. The tide is changing towards Christianity in this country and around the world. And persecution is coming to the church. So we're not going to, it's not a matter of us running and hiding in the corner and saying, well, you know, persecution was from the early church and from other places in history, but we don't, we don't, we don't believe we're going to have it. That's, that's not what level-headed Bible-reading people think or should think. What we should realize is, yes, persecution is coming, and there's no doubt about it. Because we stand for Christ, we're going to be seen. And people aren't going to like what we have to say or what we stand for. You know, so though we should stand in love and in mercy and kindness, still there are those who are going to come after us because we don't believe like they do. And the light that we have in us bothers them, just like it has all down through history. All the apostles were not killed because people, everybody loved them. Jesus was not killed and put on the cross because everybody loved him. He spoke the truth. Nobody spoke the truth in love more than Jesus Christ. And yet, they crucified him. And he said that the student is not greater than the master. And we've seen it down through the years. Great men of God have been persecuted and have been martyred. But that is not the wrath of God on us. That's the wrath of the world and Satan on the church. That's the spiritual battle that's going on constantly. But God's wrath, what we're seeing here in these chapters, is different. It comes upon a world of rebellion. We are not part of that world of rebellion. We're part of a kingdom within the world. Like Jesus said, you don't belong to this world. You guys are aliens. This is not your world anymore. You don't believe like this world. You don't act like this world. You're part of the kingdom of God. Now, up to now, the kingdom of God has been fairly invisible. You know, the church has been there. We've been a light. Once in a while, you know, good things happen. Thank God for that. But for the most part, we're the light and salt in this earth, and we're going to be taken out. And then God is going to deal with those who have decided to thumb their nose at him and want to just live in a world of indulgence and self-gratification. They want to live without him completely. So let's not get confused and, you know, throw out the idea of a rapture just because we feel like, well, you know, the church got persecuted. Why should we be any different? We're not going to be any different. But what's happening here is catastrophic. So we're going to pick up on on what's going to happen here in, in chapter 9 in our next podcast. But we shouldn't be, like, discouraged and we shouldn't be downtrodden by what we read. You know, there is an end of the road for everything. You know, thank God for the end of the road. Because it means the end of all the awful things that people experience in this life. And it means that Christ is coming to the earth to rule and reign. And it's something we should be looking forward to. So, before we get into chapter 9, I hope you're enjoying these uh, moments uh, through Revelation as we contemplate, you know, God's plan for this world. And it gets better. 
So we get through the darkness and it's going to get better on the other side. But know this, God has not set you aside for destruction. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God, and he loves you. And you have passed from judgment into life. And that's what we hope the rest of this world will wake up and see. And that's why we're still alive and still breathing, so we can share the love of Jesus Christ and bring people from judgment into life. God bless. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.